Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. And first of all, I want to thank you for joining us for today's episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think. On our last few episodes, we have been talking about food advocacy and we have had guests that have been champions for kids food around our country, helping our kids improve their diets and eat their veggies. On today's episode, we're going to have a little bit of a change of pace. So today's episode will probably be a little bit more about us as adults, as parents, and how we deal with our own health and wellness and nutrition, but also how that relates to our families. So I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, Bill Esch. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. So Bill is, uh, you are known as the Kettlebell Warrior online. Yes, I'm a 40-year-old man that has tagged himself as the kettlebell warrior. Uh, uh, yeah, very. Uh, my parents are super proud. I, I, would, I haven't been tagged as the warrior anything, yeah. so I call that well, a life win. Yeah. Um, but you have actually a very extensive and impressive resume, so I'm sure your parents are very proud. And I know I probably won't even do it justice because it's so out of my wheelhouse that I don't even understand all of it. But you are a personal trainer. You carry several nutrition and health and fitness certifications. You are a world-class kettlebell athlete, which I'll have you explain in a little more detail with that. Um, and then also have a online health education uh, platform that yeah. you operate. So first off, I think, can you, in your own words, describe sort of your resume and your accomplishments? Okay. Well, um, so I have a kind of interesting history with fitness. I started working in a gym when I was 12 and the gym I worked at did rehab and the uh, gentleman that ran it had qualified for the 1984 Olympics and Olympic weightlifting. And so I got this really weird kind of like introduction into fitness. So I learned to Olympic weightlift at the age of 12 and also everybody we worked with had like knee issues or back issues. And at the time, this is in, this is 92, 93. And a lot of the people that were coming in were referred to us by pain docs because it wasn't like, um, you know, fitness as rehab was just kind of coming into vogue at that time. And so we had this very kind of an exclusive wealthy clientele and by the time I was 15, I was, I was working with them. And I remember there was this couple and they were going to go to Greece and they just wanted to be able to walk the stairs, which is like, it's awesome. And we were able to help them do that. But I distinctively remember thinking at that age, these people would give up almost everything they had to be able to have the mobility that I had at 15. And that put me on, but I would never take basically everything that they had if I had to have their mobility. Hmm. And this put me on this path of health and fitness. There was also a gentleman named Bill Kaiser. And so Bill Kaiser started um, basically corporate wellness. And he was the head of... Uh, uh, oh, I can't remember the insurance agency, but he was 77 years old and he was a World War II vet and he'd been a bombardier pilot and he had injured his leg and had to have a lift in his shoe. But this guy was so fit, he came in and he gets up on like those little parlets, you know, those little handstand push-up things. Mm -hmm. And at 77, flips himself up against the wall and starts doing handstand push-ups. And I was like, that's the guy I want to be. That's who I want to be when I grow up. And so that really put me on this path of not just 
you know, fitness and bodybuilding and, but it, there was this aspect of sport, but not only sport, but like health and wellness. And, you know, this is the meat vehicle of which we have to live this life in. The meat vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is yep. how we experience this existence. <laughs> yeah. And so at, at that age, I was really set on how can I make that the best experience possible f for me? Mm-hmm. And then, in turn, teach others. So that's how I started. Um, after, you know, I went to college, and I was actually an art major in college because I didn't, I denied that I wanted to I be. I have seen your drawings, though, legitimately. <laughs> so he, this is the real deal. Uh, yeah, I wanted to do, I was a biology and, and art major. And I wanted to, I thought that I wanted to go into medical illustration. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I really just, I loved being in a gym. I loved helping people. I love that environment. And I did not like sitting at a table drawing for hours on end, which is surprising, right? That's what you right. do when you're an artist. Yeah. And so, uh, I inevitably just, I, I had a, I worked at the gym all through college. I became an assistant athletic director at the Jewish Community Center. Then I went two years on my own, and then I opened Smith and Ash, yep. and had that for ten years. I got bought out by Lifetime Fitness, went over to Lifetime Fitness, Ken um, Ply's director over there, and now I'm here. In the interim of that, I got real into kettlebell sport. So this is—I'll uh, explain what kettlebell sport is. It's a very odd kind of sport, but it is—you uh, have two kettlebells, which are basically balls with handles, right? Yeah. And when you lift at a professional level, uh, you will use two 32-kilogram bells, which are 70 pounds apiece. It's a Russian military sport. So it's 10 minutes, and there's like three different events. But the event that I competed in was the long cycle or the clean and jerk. And you clean and jerk these bells for 10 minutes straight and get as many reps as you can. Once you set it down, you're done. And... The reason the Russian military uses it is because it's really a test of how calm can you stay under duress and how much work can you produce. And so uh, I got real into that in about 2000, let me think here, it would have been 2007-ish in that range. And I'm terrible with dates. So, uh, we won't and then, yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> by in 2014, I set uh, I've, I've set five American records, but that was the one where I, I no did 81, and I was within like five reps of the time of the world record, and uh, and so that was uh, I just I got super into that. But my Olympic weightlifting, like learning to Olympic weightlift as a kid, really helped me in being good at kettlebell sport. So yeah, that's been that's been interesting. Okay. Well, that, I feel like that was a little bit humble because you kind of like dropped like, oh, you know, I was the American champion, just five away from a world record. So, congratulations. Thank you. First yeah. I think we Thanks. should make sure to mention that that's uber impressive. Well, thank you. I, an accomplishment. I appreciate that. So. <laughs> but um, I guess I should backtrack a little bit and yeah. talk about even how I got to know you. So, Bill actually went to high school with my husband, Shakar, but I really got to know you because I actually came to this gym, Smith and Ash, when you owned it, and my husband kind of talked me into it. He's like, oh, I know Bill. This is going to be great. And I would not have called myself a very athletic person, or I, I guess I still don't, but um, I mean, at the time, I probably any working out I'd done was like running or or you'd do some like you know, YouTube video or some sort of like aerobics, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'd been to the gym, but I was one of those people that was always on the machines, like ellipticals, that kind of thing, and was never comfortable, like knowing what to do with weights, right? Like that looked hard. Um, that was boy stuff. I didn't, didn't know what to do. So it was just kind of outside of my comfort zone. So I come here and I was like super nervous. I'm like, what did my husband talk me into? Like full of just like free weights and people are like deadlifting in the corner. I didn't probably even know what that was at the time. But I went and honestly, you and you had trainers that worked with you and you guys were incredible. So it was all just like meeting where you were and getting you comfortable with, I mean, weights, right? So 
And I mean, I think if you look at the research now, that is a lot where it's at. I think that in the past, there's been such a cardio emphasis for people in exercising back when we were kids and things like that. And now, you know, people are really starting to see how important that is, not only in your current health, but maintaining long-term strength. So really, I think that that was huge. And if I could encourage from that experience, I mean, I would say I've taken that now. I mean, my husband and I, we do weight training three times a week, like legitimately doing deadlifts and I'm lifting like big weights. I own a weight belt. Like what? I, I, who would have thought, Whoa, you know? Hold on. Hold right? On. You have a weight belt I now? I have a weight belt, right? Wow. I know. I'll take a picture. And yeah, it please do. But That's awesome. But I'm just saying like, it was just that piece of like finding that way to get comfortable with that. And then once you get comfortable, it's not so scary and intimidating. But I think for a lot of people, and I would guess more so for a lot of women in particular, it's just that piece like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to look stupid. I'm just going to go back to the elliptical machine. So I think that piece. And then what I always loved in training with you was it was always just about, it was like really long-term health how is it, you know, thinking of the long, you're not going to abuse your body. We need to talk about maintaining your function. Like you said, be that 77-year-old guy doing the crazy push-ups. Although I, I don't know that I'll ever get there. But the same thing is it's like maintaining that function. And I think that that's such a life skill that that I learned, you know, like what, my mid early mid-30s, something like that, basically, which... I would be super interested, you know, you as a father, you have two kids, right? 10 and six. Yes. So I, as I look back, I think, well, wouldn't it have been wonderful to have learned that skill and probably a lot of other ones that you can share with us at a much earlier age. So as a dad, how do you, how do you implement that? Like kind of within your own family life? This is a great question. A lot of it is play mm. at this point. Mm -hmm. They're 10 and six. And, uh, you know, I try and expose them to different sports and make it as enjoyable of a process as possible. Uh, my wife and I work out, like my wife's a Pilates instructor as well. And so, like, we had that in common and um, among other things, but <laughs> it's, it's obviously a big part of my life, yeah. right? And so, and it, it, it is a big part of hers. And so, we will... Well, when I first met her, let me take a step back. I pretty much knew, I'm like, oh, this is it. Because I walked into her apartment, and instead of having a couch, she had a reformer. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm like, here you go. This is, this is a done deal. Uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a big part of, of our lives. And we both really, you know, intent and how you look at things is really important. Mm -hmm. Really important. And so it's not... Like you said, like if you don't understand it right, or you're not exposed the right way, or it's a self-loathing process of like I got to lose ten pounds, mm -hmm. or I have to, what there's 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 this right here, or whatever it is, which everybody does, and I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but there's always going to be that, mm -hmm. right? And so whatever you're doing, you want it to fulfill your life and make it better, and make sure that the time that you're spending doing it is worthwhile, mm -hmm. and that was really she had she had that attitude about it and same with your eating right mm -hmm. like it's it's all very intertwined so with our kids we try and make it play they see us working out all the time because they have like a full garage gym and uh, it's very much a part of our lives and when they want to join in we let them join in and then when they don't i don't force it on them because they're gonna i'm gonna try and keep them in activities and keep them exposed and and just very active that way and tons of play because that play is so important as a child. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's really kind of how I approach it. As they get older, as they get into more sports and things like that, I'll help them. Yeah. Right. You know, but I don't want my role as dad to be, um, d um, skewed. Right. Right. And I really want to be their support system and help them with whatever direction they head in their life. But I really do want them to have those skills of self-maintenance. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's big to me. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine. Well, and I think, I mean, a lot of it, and we've talked about this before, is yeah. just more so than what you say or even what you try to make or not make your kids do is the modeling. So just seeing you exercise and 
make that a priority in your life, I'm sure that's super impactful for them. Uh, the other thing I was going to ask you, have you started like any, like you said, they see you working out in the gym and they'll kind of get involved at what level? Because, you know, this was always a question I would get asked as a pediatrician or they, people would ask about their kids, like when can they start weightlifting? And I think, you know, back in 30 years ago, there used to be all these recommendations that nobody should start really strength training until they're like, they'll call it like tan or five puberty, which is basically like right. fully developed. And there's a lot of concern about, I think, injuries and then like skeletal development. But in more recent years, they've kind of, at least like the American Academy of Pediatrics mm -hmm. has really kind of turned that around as they've seen the value of strength training and focusing more on like form. So even your kids are 10 and six. Is that something you sort of incorporate like regular form in or, or what kind of stuff do you do with them if they join you in the gym? Well, you always got to layer things um, with them. You know, you start kind of teaching them a little bit of stuff, right? Like here's how you squat and the body weight and here's how you do a push up, and, and it's, it's chunking it out, right? Like yeah. they're not going to, they, they don't always have like that body coordination and awareness and things like that, but you just try and build that in. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm big on, I put both of my kids in gymnastics, probably neither of them really be gymnasts, but there's a lot of skills that are developed in that. And that you can develop at a very young age, everything from flexibility and strength and body awareness and all of that, which I think is really, really important. So that's, kind of right now where I'm at with them, uh, how I feel about weight training. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything is a weight essentially, right? right? I mean, like lifting up stuff. So then it comes down to really, they need to be able to, you know, um, they really need to be able to have like develop body awareness and flexibility and mobility kind of before they go into strength training. I kind of, uh, I have this overall like concept that I work from, and it doesn't really matter with who, but in biomechanics, there's this concept of um, environmental casting or molding. Basically what that means is the environment of which you are put in, you will mold to. And there's two really good examples of this. One is when an astronaut is in space and they spend two weeks at the space station one of the hardest things for them to do is come back and walk. And they've actually figured out the problem with weight training in space, which I know there's no gravity, but basically the machine looks like a big clamp mm -hmm. and they'll do deadlifts and squats and things like that, that they compress the body. Huh. And so the body's really adaptive. It absorbs what you're doing and it takes it in. Okay. And so they've now have gotten it down to like 1% or just like no percent bone loss in space. That's one hour a day of 24 hours of weightlessness, huh? which is amazing. And they're yeah. doing like heavy weights, high rep or heavy weight, sorry, low rep. But, it, but it's, how do you do heavy weights? Well, it's a, it's like a, it's a compression. So like they're on a platform yeah, and they adjust it and like the bar is like pneumatic and it's ah. like pressing. So they have to, they have to create force to pull it off. Got right. It. Mm -hmm. And so uh, ever since they've kind of implemented that, they've been able to reduce it, but yet still walking, when they get back, and it's because they've lost the calluses on the bottom of their feet. Huh. They'll gain calluses on the top of their feet because there's no friction, right? And so if you think about it, that's how adaptive the body is. Mm -hmm. So when we look at weight training, we look at, just, just call it training, you really want to think about it from a space of that we are trying to slowly adapt the body. It's almost like being on a potter's wheel. So if, if you've ever been on a potter's wheel, you have this big hunk of clay and spinning around and you have water and you're trying to shave it off. But if you shave off too much, the thing just explodes, right? Mm -hmm. But if you gently mold it into place and slowly put these things in, it becomes very strong and stable and you get it to the shape that you want it to be in. And that's how you have to approach this. There's, there's no quick fix. Mm -hmm. But there is the body adapts. Most of us just only notice it when it adapts badly, right? right. Like you're like, oh, this sucks. But uh, you can implement simple things that can drastically, you know, change your life or change your overall health and well-being. So when I start with people, mm -hmm. I, I, I have this concept that's uh, it's called the developmental warm-up. 
And so for most of us, actually for all of us, if you weren't anybody that wasn't born with a congenital issue, mm-hmm. it's hardwired into you to become bipedal, right? Sure. So if no one was there, you would still learn to walk. And most of the time, kids have better posture than adults, yeah. right? And so if an adult was teaching them how to walk, it would probably be some crappy form of walking, right? Right. Well, with kids, there's a series that they go through. And there's, if you want to look at it this way, gifts given at birth. And mm-hmm. the first is breath. And what's crazy about breath is, is it's so present that we don't ever think about it. Mm-hmm. But it ties to so many things. Like when you think about like your torso, your torso, it, that all that musculature around there is designed for breathing. And like when you start changing rib angles or you can't drop your diaphragm or you start moving the ribs vertically as opposed to horizontally, you start changing the rest of your posture. Mm-hmm. And the first thing you do as a kid as you, when you're born is breathe, right? And you scream as you come out of the womb. Then they go to their back and they start doing global flexion. Right, so they're on their back, they're grabbing their toes and biting them and kicking them up. But like when they kind of do that happy baby thing, really what they're doing is they're preparing themselves to squat. Mm-hmm. They have a long spine, they're opening the hips, they're moving their cart to create awareness and a kinesthetic sense of where they're at. And then they roll. So rolling develops right, left side brain coordination. And then you go into pressing and you press yourself up and you go into a global extension and you start creating the curves of your spine. And then you sit. And sitting on the floor amazingly looks like yoga, right? Mm -hmm. But what it's starting to teach you is to separate your spine and hips from your femur and your other limbs Mm -hmm. as you get taller. And it starts to develop that hip mobility and dexterity that you would need. And then you either scoot or crawl. And crawling is essentially the beginning of contralateral movement, which will be walking eventually and then you go into a squat so it's not it's a and then you pull yourself to a stand and then you get into all your gait patterns Mm -hmm. but if you go through those six first movements and you didn't have something in genital but even if you did that's essentially most of rehab it's most of pilates it's most of everything so in basically every program that i do or or put together there's always at least 15 minutes if i'm going to run there's 15 minutes of that before i like I kind of like through. a stretching? Yeah, or like, it basically looks yeah. like Pilates. But you go through those movements. Like you're, you're on your back, you're doing what would be like classically ab work, you work happy baby type stuff, all yeah. these things. And eventually you come to a squat, and by the time you're there, then you get on the treadmill or lift weights or whatever it is. Yeah. And so that's where it always starts for me. And then when you get into resistance training, again, you want to like titrate it in, mm-hmm. essentially. Start off with one set of 10 and understand that as you add load to a movement it increases the neurological signaling for that posture or pattern of what you're using and that's why posture matters so much and when adding to weight so this becomes the 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 issue with weight training is that you can reinforce bad neurological signals with bad posture Mm. and then it exacerbates it and so you have a lot of kids like they they start at like 12 right yeah and when they start at 12, a lot of them can't touch their toes. Yeah. And that's actually part of the growth curve at that time. Like, I think for a kid to be able to sit in that sit and reach test and get to like a boy at 12 to touch his knees is like average. Like, that's the standard. Right. Well, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with what parts are growing at which rate and right. things of that nature uh, as well. So. Uh, 100% mm-hmm. because the body just haven't adapted. And so there's things like that that you need to be aware of. Sure. Right. And what you're reinforcing, but it doesn't mean that weight training is bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of times in fitness, because we love to make things black and white, or it's like, now it's hit training, or now it's whatever it is, right? All of it's great. All of it has its place. The question is, where are you? Where is that child? Where do we need to begin? Yeah. And what's going to make, you know, what's going to help you progress and make your life better that way? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when you... When you mentioned all those things, I always laugh because I remember when our kids were smaller, mm-hmm. and I think it was around the same time we were training with you, and those kids would just squat to play, and we would be like, oh, look at that perfect squat. Like, you look at yeah. a two-year-old, and you're, like, so jealous because you're like, oh, man, look at it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I would say that now at 40, I feel like that is the one thing that, I probably regret like from my whole previous life is like I definitely never 
prioritize stretching or any of that work. Right. And I'm already feeling it now. And so I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I better do something or, you know, I'm going to be that 70 year old couple that can't walk the stairs. <laughs> so like if there was one, cause I'm always still like, well, what's the easy way? Because everybody's busy and it's like, I don't want to spend an hour sh- stretching or whatever. Is there like something specific where you can go like, you know, here's 15 minutes, here's a video or here's something you can follow that's like the most bang for your buck? Because that's what I'm always looking for is it's yeah. like, I'm going to do this 15 minutes, but I want it to be the right stuff. Is there something you recommend for yeah, adults? Yeah, of course. I have a total selfless plug. Perfect. So, no, all right, no. All right, I'll give, I will give multiple. I, I will give you. Yes, that was fantastic, <laughs> by the way. Thank you. Uh, so, I have... I have a, a program, a free program, mm-hmm. of which has that fifteen developmental or fifteen minute developmental warm up in there, and uh, so if you go to Instagram, Kettlebell Warrior, you can load in. It's called the Seven Day Savage Shred. Perfect. Uh, which sounds very intimidating, but it's only it's it's you you'd be fine doing it, right? So, uh, but it has that fifteen minutes of of warm up, and then it, it this is I would say like a very like. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, someone has, has done some stuff, but they're still like a beginner sure. to intermediate level program. Anyone can make it hard, you know, if mm-hmm. you lift heavier, go faster, go slower, whatever, I mean, whatever variables you're going to change, but, uh, that has it. The other is, is there's tons of resources for like Pilates yeah. online, which is a great way to go. The other thing is if you're specifically trying to increase flexibility. So let's just say your hamstrings are tight. They right? are. Okay. <laughs> so there is, um, it's called PNF stretching. So proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. And all it really is, is contract, relax, stretching. Mm-hmm. So wherever you're tight, you can do this partner. You can do this by yourself, right? So you'd set your, be kneeling and you set your leg out in front of you and you'd get it into a stretch position. And then you're going to contract into the floor for like a five count. Mm-hmm. As basically as hard as I mean, like at 60 percent ish, right? And then you're going to relax. You relax the muscle. You're going to take a few breaths, and then you're going to try and sink a little deeper, and then contract into it. And the thing with that is, is that a lot of people just treat stretching as if it's like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hang out here. Yeah. And this is boring, and most of it it hurts, right? Most yeah. of it's like, I get, you're like, oh. But really, what you need to do is set a neurological signal. You need to set the signal for a range of motion or strength to be had. So in relaxed stretching, you're, you, the idea is, is that you have like a chronically, a truly chronically tight muscle. Most people, hamstrings aren't actually chronically tight. They're chronically taut. Hmm. So when you look at the origin and insertion of the hamstrings, they, you know, attach down on the bottom of the pelvis and then just kind of typically behind the knee, right? Right. Kind of by the calf almost. And when you have like an arch to your back, which most of us do, and we have actually tight hip flexors or iliopsoas musculature, which comes back to breathing, but I can talk about that later, <laughs> is that the the hamstrings are lengthened. And they're, they're kind of like a stretched rubber band. Mm-hmm. And so they they don't have anywhere to go. These like myosin and actin cross bridge fibers of which pull the muscle open apart. Like they're they don't have that far, so they don't have that signaling. So what you want to do is set that signaling. You want to teach them to contract at that state. And then you actually would want to stretch your psoas and you know, and all the mm-hmm. and basically like the quad musculature and things like that. But the contract relax stretching gets right into it. it. Yeah. It teaches it's you're starting to teach your body the length that it can go and have strength in that range of motion. Mm-hmm. Where like just relax stretching, you're actually calming the nervous system down. Where you're not setting, you're just getting, you're like, just be cool. Don't do anything. Just stay there. Don't relax. You don't have to do anything. But when you set things with with a, a strength intent in mind or that like you have the ability to reach that range of motion, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so I will move on. I would yes. be remiss on my Feeding the Family podcast yes. if I didn't ask you a little bit about how you eat at home with your family. So can you, maybe the first thing is to just kind of give us a general idea of how do the Eshes eat dinner? How do we eat dinner? That's great. So first off, it's super 
important that my wife, who's really in charge of our food for the mm-hmm. most part, we both cook. I shouldn't, I shouldn't totally say that, but she, she is. We both cook. We both go to the grocery store, and we probably, we probably alternate every night. But she's really the captain on this. We'll just say. You bet. Well, there always has to be one person right, in charge. Right. Right. Nice. <laughs> um, so, let me think. Uh, we will do. We do like everything from like rice and chicken and vegetables to uh, family pizza night, right? Yeah. Um, and kind of everything in between, but we really try and keep very consistent in our food. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think we had steak and potatoes and broccoli the other night and the kids had the same stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty basic in that sense, but there's things that we do in our house that like a lot of families, like we don't have cereal. Okay. Right. Yeah. We don't have, uh, we do have bread, right? So it's not like I'm anti-carb person or things like that. Uh, we don't have very many juices around. And if we do, we try and make our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I'm trying to think about, um, because sometimes you just get in the rhythm of doing this, right? Sure, yeah, it's hard. It all becomes normal to you. But um, right. so is there, I mean, the cereals and juices, is there any, you guys don't follow then like any particular diet? No, we're not like paleo or right. keto or we just really try the very whole foods diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea is, is that I don't want, I don't want my kids, I want my kids to have a really good relationship with food. Yeah. I don't want them to be neurotic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, I don't want anyone to be neurotic with food, right? Yeah. And that's what we try and model. So even like we, we occasionally will have like ice cream and stuff like that in the house and, you know, chocolate covered almonds and that type of stuff. But we really try and reduce the amount of processed foods in our house. Mm -hmm. And I don't want, but I don't want my kids to be weird about it. I don't want them to go over to someone's house and then just, you know, like, like, like they've been kept away. So if it's more just like, if we're going to do it, we got to travel someplace to go do it. Right. We got to go to wherever the grocery store to pick it up right right it's not just it's not just there right Mm -hmm. they're gonna have choices of bananas and apples and you know pears and grapes and other things and they hate us for it at times right yeah but it's but then when it does come in there they're pretty thrilled about it yeah you know so it's it's you know it's always like kind of with them it's i try and make sure that our meals are really good Mm -hmm. and then you know you'll find very occasionally you'll find, you know, boxes of whatever. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what we have in boxes right now. But we try and keep that to a real minimum. Sure. So, so mostly that makes a lot of sense. So you guys mostly cook at home, you would say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And no particular diet, which I love, I think, coming from someone like you. Because I think, you know, people watch your Instagram and they see your abs and it all seems very unattainable. And I think that sometimes that that's the kind of stuff that makes, you know, you start to believe, well, the only way that I can get in really great shape is to do some crazy diet. Right. right. And so it's like, I'm going to just eliminate all carbs or I'm going to only, I don't know, all paleo, all this, all that. And it's never sustainable, I think. And I also think, like you said, it's a lot about what what you're modeling for your family. Right. And so I love that you have just kind of like, you know, we're just going to have a real food, a whole food approach, and we're not going to be crazy in terms of like, you know, no sugar for anyone ever. Because like you said, then the minute that you're out of the house, of course, I mean, what's the first thing you're going to go for and right. just gorge yourself on? Because I never get this at home. And then it just creates such a there's just such a psychological piece to that to restriction, Mm -hmm. I think is probably in that off limits piece that not only for kids, but I think as adults. And I think that's why those, that mindset as a diet, whether as a child that it's being imposed on you or as an adult trying to impose it on yourself, it almost always fails because in the long run, I think ultimately what we all want is what we've been told we can't have, whether it's by your mom or dad or it's by yourself. Right. Um, so I think that that's awesome that you guys do that. And it's amazing that that works. But so the other question I had that I kind of talked yeah. to you a little bit before is at the same time, you know, you clearly have a, a more intense 
exercise routine, I would think, than maybe the average person. Or maybe I'm wrong. But um, I guess the question is, how do you it's, how do you fuel a world class athlete and a six year old boy at the same meal? <laughs> similarly, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's fun. I mean, a lot of it is. I'm trying to think of where to start with this. A lot of it is very simple. I mean, like if you go out for a nice meal and you get salmon and rice and like some type of asparagus, right? I, I mean, it's it's great. You go to mahogany and you get a really it's a really nice you know steak dinner there. Yeah, those are all really great meals. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to fuel you really well. You're going to have a very well balanced plate. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that cause a ton of inflammation. And if you were to think about like your health as being a boat and people want to obsess about well, what vitamins, what supplements are you taking? What, you know, and I'm not like, I'm all, I'm all for high quality vitamins and supplements and, yeah. you know, vitamin D and fish oil are great things. So I don't want to poo poo them. But the thing is, is if like, let's just say sugar mm -hmm. might be questionable, but processed dairy can cause a lot of issues. Uh, so sugar, processed dairy, alcohol, mm -hmm. any type of like really refined carbohydrate and any type of just refined fats, right? Yeah. I think I'm kind of covering the basics here. If those were drill bits and you were in a boat and the sealants were like, you know, vitamins and all of that, the biggest thing you want to do is not drill a hole in your boat. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like gut health issues for people yes. at this point, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's why people go so crazy about gluten, yeah. right? Because gluten, like historically, and, and some of the issues with like people have with, with bread. Mm -hmm. So when people talk about like whole grain, right? It's actually not whole grain unless it's in seed form. Mm-hmm. You know, and at a certain point, you've processed it so much that they've had to vitamin fortify it and, yep. and like vitamin fortification, I think happened during was it either world war one or world war two when they started, they were giving the soldier cereal because it was light and easy to carry, but they started getting scurvy mm -hmm. because there wasn't enough nutrition there. So they started vitamin fortifying it so that it had like 2000% vitamin C or whatever. Right? right. But it was just so they wouldn't get sick. But I hope for more than that and that I leave a life that is more like, you know, there's more than just not being sick, yeah. but it's vibrant, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's a lot of is reducing that inflammation that's coming in, right? I mean, we don't have pop at our house, right? That's a big one. Yeah. Pop and like juices and things like that that are just loaded with sugar. What about diet soda? Do you no, that? I do not drink diet soda. I I, I just, I try and stay away from it mm -hmm. as, as much as possible. And I get that people like it and occasionally, and, and I get having things occasionally, right? Sure. But what ends up happening, sometimes when I break down nutrition for people and we go through and we talk about the standard American diet. So yeah. most people will get up in the morning, they'll have a bowl of Cheerios. And so they have a completely refined grain of which has been vitamin fortified. So keep that in mind. And then you have, uh, you know, skim milk. So it has no fat to it, all of the milk sugars, and it can stay in your fridge forever, right? Uh -huh. Probably not the, the greatest thing, and I'm not necessarily anti-milk, but just lands out. Then they have a sandwich for lunch. So they're having processed deli meats mm -hmm. and, you know, white bread and chips. And then at dinner, maybe they're having chicken and potatoes and a vegetable and maybe some rolls. And that's their first complete meal of the day is mm -hmm. dinner. And so when you start giving a grade, so what, there's seven days in a week and three meals a day. So you have 21 meals mm -hmm. and the average American has one meal a day. So they're doing seven out of 21 meals. Well, if that was a grade, you have a 33%. And this becomes the issue for people trying to change that because eating is a social, emotional, spiritual event, right? Yeah. That is 60 or 86% of all serotonins produced in the gut lining. Mm -hmm. So what you eat does affect you, right? And so you have someone that's sitting at a grade of a 33% and now they double their effort. So maybe now they're having like eggs and toast and you know, maybe bacon and water and coffee in the morning, right? Maybe they're making an omelet with some vegetables in there, which is even better. Right. And then lunch, they're still having a sandwich and dinner 
is back to it. And they're like, man, I should just be killing it right now. And they have, they've made wonderful progress, but they're expecting that this is, that they're an A student, but in actuality, they're at 66%. So they're a student who just decided to show up to class and occasionally <laughs> they failing. open the book and they're like, man, this is hard. Yes. Yes, it is hard. It mm -hmm. is, it is a hard change, but what you need to eat is simple. Yeah. You know, too often simple is considered easy, but mm -hmm. it's not. And especially in such a convenient, a world made of convenience, mm -hmm. right? And that we have food constantly available to us. And so I, I guess in a way, I think of it kind of like social media, right? Social media can be great, right? You can connect with people that yeah. you haven't seen in years. It can also be very, very dangerous. And so now we can get fruits in the middle of winter, we can get fruit. We can get food, whatever food we want. We can get right now. I can go to a grocery store in ten minutes and get anything I need. Yep. The question is, is now I have choice. It's not forced upon me, and so now I have to make these choices and understand maybe what's driving my emotions or my choices, right? And that sometimes, if I can just start the habit of certain things, those emotions won't be there, and I can start creating better habits. Yeah. Yeah, I love you talking about the gut health. I think that that's something I've been super interested in just because I feel like we're really kind of at the early stages of understanding the complexity of the way that we change our guts and then the effects that our gut has on basically every other system in our body. And, you know, some of the research I think that goes back to that, two of the things I've read, I know one is talking about kind of like those non-nutritive sweeteners. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, I think talking about diet soda or... And I mean, I'm guilty. I've made that choice a million times and I use those Mio drink things. Right. We've talked about all those right. things. And, and you have. think you're doing good. You know, you're like, oh, I don't want to have all this sugar, but I really want something. Yeah. And so, um, but I've read a lot about, there's a lot of uh, research now suggesting that that is doing a lot to change our guts, like in terms of like the microbiome of our guts and the effects that that might be having on not only, like you said, kind of like our, our mental health, but our cardiovascular health and diabetes and all kinds of other things. And then, you know, the other thing when you were talking about gluten, and I yeah. know a long time ago, too, I read that some of people's sensitivity to that might not even be the gluten, but like all the other, it's really just the chemicals not that are coming with our wheat and the way we're treating our our. Um, like grains when they're being grown and things of that nature. And so I think just that piece of sort of processed food and uh, food products, I guess, that were coming out that are not not real food, but food products, um, I think is having more impact on us and our kids than we realize. Well, it's, yeah, it's huge. I mean, think about the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Think about Whole Foods. Let's, yeah. let's take the healthiest grocery store there yeah. is, Whole Foods. Yeah. How many aisles are just dedicated to box processed things right yeah. and they might all come from organic sources mm -hmm. but it's still essentially the same stuff mm -hmm. where the outside of the grocery store is very good it's all going to be very fresh it's going to be i mean even your frozen aisle is going to be pretty good sure. right frozen vegetables are pretty close to as good as as fresh right some cases better depending yeah, upon yeah because i think they'll like right. freeze them when they're right at they their prime. yeah so exactly better even than what it, you might get yeah, and it really does. It comes down to having this real education about food, right? I mean, like gluten. The interesting thing is gluten is this, so nothing's actually, like with gut health, and I think gut health is a really hard thing for people to understand because yeah. nothing's actually in you until it's in your bloodstream, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything that you eat, I don't care how organic or you know how much that animal has been loved before you eat it <laughs> or plant or whatever – Everything has protective mechanisms to not be eaten. Some have mm -hmm. legs, some have phytates and other things, right? And gluten. Sure. And so basically, until it's in your bloodstream, it's not actually in you. That's why like, you pass a penny if you swallow a penny, right? right? Mm -hmm. And that's why you go to the bathroom. Because yeah. you are actually, your gut is doing the job of cleaving out the proteins and the other vitamins, minerals that it can absorb. And then it is passing through that of which is toxic to you. Mm -hmm. And so when, uh, like the issue with gluten, I'll just use this because I understand it a little bit, is that it upregulates an enzyme called zonulin. And mm -hmm. zonulin will separate those cell junctures of the stomach and make those uh, 
is it villi, right? Mm-hmm. right? Microvilli. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. like it'll make them actually sh- kind of shorter. Mm-hmm. And so it allows for more things to pass through. So you might start getting other allergies in there, mm-hmm. right? And so, like a leaky gut. Yes, yeah, yeah, which is really common. I mean, it's mm-hmm. way more common than not, I think, a lot of the time. So uh, I kind of lost train of thought where I was going with that. But uh, basically, it's it's important to kind of take this, these self notes of how you feel mm. and, and do things because everybody's different. That's the other thing. So when you talk about diet, it becomes dogmatic for people. Yeah. But for example, and I know this is slightly different, but like f- salmon, I love salmon. Super. I love it. I feel great when I eat it. It's awesome. Now, my brother Danny, who would have a very similar genetic makeup, both from the same parents, the smell of the proteins will put them into anaphylactic shock. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, for me, it's super healthy. I can, I can eat that. But for him, it'll kill him. Right. That would, I mean, like literally what kill him, I? right? So, you have to consider that with how people feel about different things. And that life changes, right? Mm-hmm. The environment of your stress levels, your sleep, how much sleep are you getting? Are you recovering throughout the day? Are you all of these, you know, how's your relationship with your husband, your wife, your kids, your friends? That affects your gut lining, right? Yeah. And it affects, you know, if that done over long periods of time can affect what might be getting through the gut lining mm-hmm. and what you're eating and your diet might need to change. You also might need to address those issues. But <laughs> like all of those things play such a role, you know, and I'm making this sound way more complicated than it is when really yeah, so much is. is eating a really balanced, healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Ha- like by shopping around the outside of the grocery store, learn how to cook. That's yeah. a skill. Learn how to cook. Like we teach our kids from a very young age, like, hey, this is how we make eggs. This is how we're going to make vegetables. This is, you know, and I think it's very, very important. Yeah. I think getting kids in the kitchen is so huge. Like you said, because you can learn all these things. And if you didn't grow up with the skills, kind of like being comfortable with the weight rack, if you're not right. comfortable in the kitchen, it's not really that difficult. But you look at it, it's kind of overwhelming, you feel uncomfortable, and you don't do it. Um, so I think it's kind of that same skill set. So the earlier that you can, you know, you don't want to have to be 32 or 35 or whatever I was when I felt comfortable with the weight rack, you don't want your kid to be 35 or older before they feel comfortable making eggs. And I, I mean, some people laugh about that, but I think that's a reality for some people as they say, oh. I don't know how to cook. I'm not comfortable here. And so I think just even that piece alone is so huge. Just getting, getting your kids in the kitchen, watching what you do, getting involved. Um, the other thing I would say, kind of one more thing as yeah. far as like, what would be then your advice for parents? If you could say, because I, I think what you're saying is got a lot of value in terms of limiting processed foods if possible, getting kids in the kitchen, a modeling, eating the same foods as your kids. Um, but if parents are feeling like maybe they're not there right now, right? do you have any tips as far as kind of like, what's a great first step? Start with one meal. Start with one. Mm-hmm. Just start with one where everybody's going to sit down and you're going to take a half hour mm-hmm. and eat. And you're yeah. going to prioritize this meal. I know life gets busy. Mm-hmm. It does. It does when you have kids. I mean, it does when you have a job and right. other responsibilities, right? And just sitting down and having one meal where you're going to, even if it's dinner, even if you're at that 33%, that's great. Make it consistent and then shoot for the next one. Pick the easiest one, right? But then be consistent with it and just try and layer that consistency. Drink more water. Like, I mean, get more steps in the day. Like these are, these are real things there. It's, you know, they sound so simple and we're all like, uh, but I finally started wearing like a a watch, like a Garmin that monitors like steps and things like that. And it's, it is, it's enlightening because you can start Mm -hmm. seeing either how much or how little you move. And the thing is, is that those small changes of getting just more steps in a day can make a huge difference. Just like, boy, I have, you know, let's just say I have. 10 Cokes a week. Let's try and cut that down to five, mm-hmm. right? Or like with your kids is you just make a meal, start making a meal. And if they're old enough, get them involved in it. Mm-hmm. And I know that's daunting, but just start with one and I get, or 
prepare meals. Mm-hmm. We, we do that a lot. And that is like a godsend. Having So Sundays, we sit down and we'll make like 15 meals of like, I think we, this Sunday we made hamburgers, rice, uh, it might have been broccoli. And it took about as long as it takes to prepare any meal. And then we just put them in their little meal place. And we'll use that throughout the week. So when our kids have games or practices, we can just throw them in the microwave and, mm-hmm. and be ready to go. Yeah. And they're, they seem to be fine with it. Now, if we do it too much, they're not fine with it. And ah, they're like, they're like yeah, and they're like, again, again I'm like, out. right? You know, I mean, <laughs> but we change it up, right? Mm-hmm. We'll do chicken, we'll do steak, we'll do pork chops, whatever, right? Yeah. And try and pick things that you actually like, not that are just told to you for being healthy, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, kale's great. But listen, if you hate kale, don't. Yes. This is how I, I feel like I was 40 before I finally told myself, like, I hate smoothies. Yeah. Smoothies are like the basis of any, you go like, I'm going to get a healthy breakfast. It's just, right. I, fi- I, I finally was like, you know what? I hate drinking these things. Yeah. yeah. I ain't going to do it anymore. Well, right. No, but it is. But we tell ourselves these things. Like yeah. we hear this, this fact about, yeah. oh, to be healthy, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, I kind of go back to that boat scenario. And a lot of it is don't drill a hole in your boat. Don't drill a hole in your boat. Pick foods that you like because we all have those meals that we really like. Yeah. Like, no one's upset when they go to Mahogany and have a steak, a baked potato, and vegetables. Yeah. If I mean, if you could do that daily, that'd be great, yeah, right? I mean, it would be great, be but it would be very expensive. <laughs> but, like, we, like, there's dishes that people like that are chicken and yeah. rice or whatever, right? Most of the time, it's just getting to that point of preparing them or figuring out what works for you. I, I personally, right now, because our kids are going different places and practices, we do a lot of steamer packets. Because I hate preparing vegetables Mm -hmm. because I feel like it takes forever, right? Even though it doesn't, I know, but, and then I will cook the protein and the, and the rice is, you know, a lot of times it's pre-made, but even then it takes 20 minutes on a stove. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's just a lot of it, but it's creating those habits and then making sure that it's there. And the other is, is like, if you have fall two items, like snacking, right? Like, just don't have snack foods around. Mm-hmm. When you sit down to eat, eat a full meal. Make sure you're satisfied. And sometimes just reflecting on how you feel after that meal makes a huge difference, right? Were you clear-headed? Did you have good energy? Or were you still hungry Yeah. and you wanted more? Well, then maybe that's not a great meal for you. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, trying to find that balance. The other is feed your family. Like, don't, don't set yourself apart from your family. Yeah. That's really, I just feel like it sets off a different, whole different host of like issues possibly. I would agree. I mean, unless there's like a serious medical reason that you absolutely can't eat the same food as your family, I think the value for them and for you is huge to just one meal for one family. And I think that alone sets you up for a ton of success, you and them. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Awesome. Well, I think it is probably time to move on to our next segment of our podcast. So I don't know if you're familiar. We do have a segment that is called Ask Me Anything. And I do have some questions. So I have to say, I feel like these questions that I got are definitely ask you anything. I don't think people really wanted to hear these answers from me. So my first one is from Steve. And he said, what do you recommend for beginners in terms of using kettlebells? How can you make sure you have good form? Because it seems like you could really hurt yourself. That's a great question. And yes, you could. Uh, so for beginners, there's the basic, there's, there's some, first of all, like just basic movement principles that you need to understand, like how to properly hinge from the hip. That would be a big one. Yeah. So like your deadlift mechanics, even though swing is, is not a deadlift because the force load is different, right? The swing is going to work on a pendulum. So Mm -hmm. like if people don't know what a kettlebell swing is, it's you basically are taking that kettlebell, you're going to hold it and it's going to swing between your legs and you're going to kind of hinge back and the arms are going to be tight to the body. And then you're going to swing it out to about eye level and you're going to stand up really tall then you wait for the bell to come back into you and hinge back and you rinse and repeat it so it's really a lot of kinetics going on where like a deadlift 
which the kind of the movement looks the same. The force load, you're just dealing with gravity. So like there's, as opposed to the bell's inertia coming into you, you're just standing it up. And so before, like anything, you want to learn how to deadlift properly, how to brace your spine and back and things like that. So learn to deadlift, do you think, before you try to do any sort of like kettlebell swings? Yeah, I would. Mm -hmm. And then when you progress from there, you're going to, there's a number of different drills you can go to. If you go to like my Instagram, I have a ton of like how to do kettlebell swings better, um, how to goblet squat, how to snatch, how to clean. But that's uh, kind of where to start, like learning how to goblet squat, how to, you know, I guess kettlebell swing, goblet squat, Turkish get up is probably a good place to start. It's where you have the weight up and you stand up from the floor and come to a stand position and then lay back down. Uh, and then there's just pressing it and things like that. But really where to start is you want to get that, that two-handed swing down and then you move to the one-handed swing. And a lot of it is just learning to let the arm come into the body. Kind of relax, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's a different, mm -hmm. it's a different feeling than weightlifting, especially once you start yeah. swinging it around. Well, the only reason I know how to do any of it was going to your <laughs> gym. And maybe the only thing I would yeah. add, it, I'm sure you would say, would just be to start light yes. while you get the form down. A hundred percent. Don't go crazy from the get-go. Once you feel confident in the form, then probably pretty gradually. Yes. You want to yeah. really gradually increase it. <laughs> you, you just, you really do want to get the mechanics down. You won't be a warrior on day one. No. Well, <laughs> you will be, you'll be a warrior. You, you are who you are. Right. And so, uh, but everybody needs to learn, right? right. And everybody needs to take those steps back. Right. Mm -hmm. And just accept the reality of where we're at yeah. and then, and, and deal with that. And so that's, I mean, in very general terms, that's yes, a hundred percent what you want to get down. Okay. I love it. I have one more question yeah. from Adam. One of the things that keeps me training is a goal, like a race or an event. And when I don't have that or things get more chaotic at work or with my family, the first thing to get tossed is my daily run or workout. How do you and your wife balance working out with kids? And how do you continually challenge yourself and find new goals? Like when you're already the American champion. Right. <laughs> Well, those goals change, mm -hmm. right, over time. And it's it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's super fair for me to talk about this because my day starts at like 5 a.m. until 1 of just training people straight through. So I'm super active yeah. like throughout the day. So that kind of base level is taken care of. But a lot of it for me is really I just feel like I feel better when mm -hmm. I do. And... um it is having, you know, I try and set habitual goals, right? So uh, filming for Instagram, right? <laughs> Gotta be camera ready. You, right? <laughs> well, there's, there's that, but it takes a lot of effort and filming these programs takes a lot of effort. So I actually don't get to do my own workouts. Oh. I know that sounds funny, but like if I was training for kettlebell sport, like I actually could not train for kettlebell sport and shoot all the Instagram that I do yeah, because I'm just too beat up. Like how many hours a day does it take to do these Instagram videos? Well, it takes about three hours a week. Okay. But it's like usually done. But for in like one clips that are that are like you know thirty seconds long, right? Yeah. And I and and filming these other programs. Yeah. And so that it surprisingly takes a lot of time, and so I I try and make a goal of having two strength training sessions a week, just that are just mine. They're not being filmed. Like, believe it or not, I really, I, like, I'm not, like, uh, it, it's, it's, it's actually hard for me to do Instagram stuff. Yeah. You know, because then I got to think of something new or how do I say the same thing You're over like again, a cool but in a different, right, there. yeah, right, I got to go someplace. But I try and have two workouts a week that, like, it's a, it's a checkbox, mm -hmm. right? And I, honestly, I lift the same weights. Like, right now, I'm, I, I've done tons of other modalities and all these other things are great. So it's not like this is better than this, right? Yeah. But I, I do a lot of strength training right now with kettlebells. So the weight stays exactly the same and I just adhere to tempo training. So I try and keep my time under tension longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for me, I just try and make that checkbox of like, and it can be any two days in the week and how it fits in, but I get those two days in. Mm -hmm. That's that's really big for me. That makes sense. Yeah, I think... Two things. Number one, I just want to point out like what you said, 
as a reminder as like, I think part of, we talked about like how social media affects our brains. And so like, let's just say somebody follows you and we see your 10 second video, 30 second video. And it's this like picturesque, amazing thing. And I think that it's a good reminder, like all of social media and Instagram that, you know, that 30 second video may have taken an hour to get just right and looking so perfect as it does. Right. For example. So Again, it's like, like, I like to always remind people like social media isn't real life. You know, we see everybody with their perfect meals and their perfect workouts and everybody looks great doing them. And that's great because of course, none of us want to, you know, wake up and have our like, you know, sweaty, like shirt with our hole in it workout for Instagram. And most people are not going to put that out there. So of course not. But to realize that, like, this is not just, you didn't just, like, set up the camera, whip it out, you know, whip around your kettlebell, and you're like, done. You know, it, it takes a lot of effort. It doesn't to look, look like that anymore. Good, right? I, I exactly. hire someone to film me, right? Exactly. Like, Professional photography. Yes. Uh, like, make me look pretty, right? And exactly. so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It I think is, that's it's, huge. It's, it's, it is huge. To it's, just remember. Right. And that it's just, uh, for most of us, we just literally need to make it a, because uh, at times when things get so busy, it's a it is a checkbox for me, mm-hmm. and it's like I did this. I took care of myself. Mm-hmm. I actually took care of myself because again, intent is so important, mm-hmm. right? And so many of us come to exercise because we don't like where we're at. Yeah, and that's what's what's great about. It. But the thing is, is that like you are still the same person mm-hmm. that you are when you're in better shape. You just feel a little better, right? Yeah. And so we just have to learn those same habits that we brush our teeth at night, that we're going to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I, I'll go back to the environment, right? Environmentally, it's amazing that I have a job, <laughs> right? It is. It's, I mean, it's crazy because you think 60 years ago, barely the, it barely even existed. Yeah. And obesity wasn't at its rate that it is now. Yeah. And there's a number of factors to go in that. But one major factor is, is that we don't have to walk anywhere. I mean, even like, and there's tons of physical jobs, but machines do almost everything. And it's only going to become more. So that's great because it, it can improve, like the quality of our lives and how we spend our time. But now we have to dedicate time to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And learning how to do that becomes, it becomes tricky because there's so much information out there. That's the truth. And that's why I wanted to do this podcast to help sort through some of it. I think the one last thing like on this question, what it also brought to mind, because I can relate to this a little bit. I feel like, you know, if, if something gets really chaotic or you kind of have a new stressor pop up, I would say for me too, in that first blink, sometimes the first things to go for me are those like the workout and the taking care of yourself or maybe you get up early to work on stuff and you lose out on sleep. So I do feel, I feel for Adam in that, Mm -hmm. like that first tendency is like, that's got to go because I need to deal with X, Y, or Z. But, and I'm pretty sure that this is actually something I got secondhand from my husband, but was a Bill Esch-ism is that, but I think it's a, we talked about this and it's important because I think I won't say it correctly exactly, but you said to him, you know, let's just say, you know, day one, when you just start working out, you start at A. Right. And you build up and you're making progress and you're getting better. And life happens. Maybe you get hurt. Maybe you have stressors. You got to take a week off, et cetera. But you don't fall all the way back down to level A. You know, maybe you were at Q and now, now I'm going to have to remember my alphabet. You're right. at K or something. So either way, you've fallen, but you didn't fall back down to where you started. You just fall down a couple notches. So that climb to get back where you were isn't as steep. And I think realizing that you've got you've got this history of habits now to fall back on so getting back into that pattern is way easier than it was when you hadn't been doing it for years and so for me that is you know it is in my routine and my habits to eat well and try to sleep well Mm -hmm. and to exercise and so I fall off but I always remind myself okay I'm not gonna fall down here we're gonna take care of business and maybe we didn't get our workouts in or whatever this week but you know, all is not going to fall apart. I'm not going to be totally out of shape in a week. And I'm going to be able to just get back at it because I've created these habits. So it's actually not that hard. Good and bad habits are easy to fall back into. So when you start creating those good habits, it becomes that much easier to kind of fall back into, okay, we're back in the swing and doing our workouts and stuff like that. So 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, it is. It is about building mm-hmm. and, and trying to build that foundation longer, right? Which then it makes it wider. And it's, it is not as difficult to get back into. On that same note, we are, there's things that like are ingrained into us. And when stress rises, we fall back to those. Mm-hmm. And some of it is just having that awareness of that, oh, I'm doing this again. Yep. Okay. Um, it's time to just take that next step forward. And whatever it is, just fitting that next step in and moving ahead, just like you said. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thank, Thank you, you, Bill. Hey, this was great. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in for another episode of Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. You can catch, we'll put in the show notes all of the information to get connected with Bill's Instagram and his website if you're interested in learning more about his workouts and his seven-day shred program. Um, And again, if you're enjoying our episodes, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And we'll see you every Monday with new episodes. Thank you. 